take that to the bank. Later today, they'll be having a practice at Owens Mills, Maryland. They'll bus over to BWI, they'll fly to PIT, and they will take to Heinz Field tomorrow night in front of a national audience, presumably to get lambasted on Thanksgiving night. Good morning to you. Good Wednesday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports, sounding a very happy note to start your day. This is the DK Sports Radio Podcasting Network, and I'm coming to you from the newly crafted DK Sports Radio studios in the Strip District, I'm happy to say. It's Steelers versus Ravens at 8.20 p.m. tomorrow night. The last game that will be played at Heinz Field in front of fans because of state guidelines. The last game that we'll see between these arch rivals over the course of the year. And the last game in which Baltimore can be a pretender even to making the playoffs. Do not shed one tear for the Ravens and the circumstances in which they find themselves. In addition to injuries that they had coming into this week, they've now got four prominent players who've been placed on the COVID-19 list of the NFL. Both of their running backs, Mark Ingram and J.K. Dobbins. Dobbins is really, really good. Outstanding defensive tackle, Brandon Williams. And backup linebacker, Pernell McPhee, was added to that list later yesterday. There's at least one media outlet in Maryland that's reporting that there could be more names added later today. Not sure I really understand that. I mean, you've either tested positive or you haven't. Maybe that's a contact tracing thing. We'll see how that goes. Regardless, this game's going to be played. This game should be played. That's not being insensitive whatsoever to coronavirus uh, nor to public safety. The NFL has proven that these games can be conducted in a safe way. There's been no issues that are known in any stadium from any gathering at any sporting event to date across North America. There's also been exactly zero cases, again, known, of transmission between players on the field, meaning you know, one team had a guy who had it and you found out after the fact, but nobody on the other team got it. That doesn't mean you don't take the precautions, the extra precautions that we're seeing this week, but the NFL has managed this a lot better than what I think they're getting credit for from a lot of people. Who hasn't managed it well at times have been individual teams. This has always been an individual team thing. Anytime you have a non-bubble situation over this past year. It's been incumbent on the teams. And within that, even the individuals who are inside those team bubbles, 
to do the right thing. That doesn't mean anyone's going to bat a thousand. The Steelers didn't bat a thousand. The Steelers just had Vance McDonald out for a while. Who knows if Vance just got unlucky, if Vance made a mistake. Nobody knows. But the team, the Steelers, handled everything about Vance's situation exactly right. If you go back to earlier in the summer when baseball was really the the pioneer for this, the Pirates had a case early on just before the season started, Gregory Polanco, who self-reported before he got to the ballpark, made sure he just felt some symptoms. He hadn't even been tested on that day. But they'd all been conditioned and coached up properly. He stayed away. The Pirates were able to manage the thing. Nobody else got it. Nobody else got it. The Pirates didn't have a COVID issue throughout the season. They had all kinds of other issues. I know what you're thinking. But they didn't have one of those. They handled it really, really well. Not all teams in all sports have done that. This is part of the game. We have now heard this from Mike Sullivan of the Penguins. We've heard it from Derek Shelton of the Pirates. We've heard it from Mike Tomlin. We have heard it from coaches and athletes and staffers across the span of professional sports. It is part of the game. Tomlin went so far as to refer to this as a battle of attrition. Talk about potentially sounding insensitive. But he's right. When the Steelers took the field in Jacksonville and Vance McDonald wasn't available, and then Zach Gentry, the third string tight end, gets hurt, had the Steelers been facing a real live NFL opponent and had they lost because they ran out of tight ends, that's on them. Too bad. This is part of the game. There is no weeping for the Ravens. There's no sympathy to be had here. If Lamar Jackson ends up being one of the people whose name gets added to this list, too bad. Should have done better. Should have been better at this. Should have found ways to have it under control because other teams have. The Ravens and the Titans and a couple other teams haven't been as good at this as others have. For Baltimore, this is the second significant go-round with coronavirus. John Harbaugh and everybody else wearing purple down there needed to do better, still need to do better. Besides, you know, it was about a year ago that the Steelers went into Baltimore with Dockett quarterback and missing a bunch of people. There was no mercy. There, there was no, you know, handkerchiefs being passed out at MNC Bank Stadium. It was just another Pittsburgh versus Baltimore game. This one comes with a different feel. And the Steelers are 10 and 0, the Ravens are 6 and 4. Nobody's pretending that the Ravens are anybody's threat in the AFC North anymore. But the Ravens are sitting there tied with the Dolphins, both of them just sitting on the bubble of the AFC playoff picture. Bury them. Bury these guys. And do it without the slightest tinge 
of remorse. When we come back, I'll get away from this and talk about an actual football thing related to this game. I reported from Jacksonville over this past weekend that Ben Roethlisberger was in a bit of an irritated state of mind. It, it came across in his post-game session with us, and there were certain things you could see on the field where it was obvious that he wasn't exactly having a great time out there. And then he went through that whole post-game session and it tried occasionally to put a smile on things. It wasn't there. And finally, with the very last question and answer of the day then, he kind of let it out that the offense just needs to produce more points. The offense just needs to not worry about trying to build up this or that facet or element or player and it just needs to produce points so yesterday before the Steelers took the field for practice and by the way Ben was listed as a limited participant and two reasons were given for that one was non-injury related and the other was quad that's a weird football thing They'll put an injury down for you in football if you happen to have it, but they'll also say not injury-related, meaning why he was held out, if they believe that that injury is not why he was held out. Make sense? Okay. So he's fine, but it was also the first time that they'd listed him with the quad. So something to keep an eye on, I guess, going forward. So before Ben takes the field, he's talking with us, and this is what he has to say about the offense. And again, listen to the intonation here. Uh, no, I don't. I mean, I don't think it really matters how many times we run or throw it as long as we win the football game. Um, you know, we we can beat the dead horse on the RPOs and the short passes are the same as runs. And you know, we we quote unquote need to run the ball X amount of times. No, we don't. We need to win a football game, uh, and that's what we've been doing. Um, and you know, maybe we'll throw it seventy times this week. Who knows? That's very Ben, and, and it's admirable. I'm not here to knock any sentiment in which a team player in a team sport prioritizes a team outcome over something that individually could benefit them. Ben has always been about that, not in a hokey, syrupy, play-the-violin kind of way, but for real. His legacy is built on the Steelers' being a successful franchise for the duration of his 17-year career, way more than it is on any individual statistics, achievements, or awards. Good for him. However, in this case, I honestly feel like he's missing the mark. Let's try to pick this thing apart a little bit. Ben is upset in the Jacksonville game. The Steelers were able to run somewhat. Uh, I talked about it on yesterday's show that I still wasn't all that crazy, even though James Conner had the 89 yards on 13 carries. He had three big carries. Two of them were sweeps to the outside that won't work against any other team and only set a further bad precedent for this particular running back who really shouldn't be trying to hit edges against anyone. 
So that was kind of a mixed bag. The passing game had its moments. Obviously, been through a couple of beautiful balls. Chase Claypool, James Washington, Deontay Johnson. Uh, each of them individually, there were just some terrific plays, including the throws by Ben. The second half, it, it wasn't very good. And I know a lot of people kind of w- would have lost interest or maybe got up and started to do something else or even changed the channel because the score got out of hand and it wasn't the prettiest football. But it wasn't the prettiest football in large part because Ben wasn't particularly good. He was just missing on everything. Timing was off. Distance was off. Velocity was off. Not referring to that he lacked it or whatever. He just It wasn't being assigned correctly. It was a lousy look. If he had started the game like that, we all would be talking about it today. As it was, it happened in mop-up time. And even then, he was able to hit Eric Ebron with a bullet up the seam to put the game away in the fourth quarter. He was off. Something was off. And the offense has been off or at least inconsistent throughout the season. And if you... Go back to Ben's reaction in Jacksonville and then parse the remark that I just played for you from yesterday. It sounds to me, playing Ben translator here after covering him for a decade and a half, that he really just wants to get on with it and just start throwing the ball. I I have a feeling that this is something that's coming to a head. I'm not trying to create artificial drama here or anything else like that. But again, I've covered him for a long time, and I know when he's sending signals, and he will send signals through us, he'll do that. He'll often do that rather than directly confronting the responsible coach in a given situation. He'll let them read about it or hear about it in public. This is not new. Remember when he had the weekly radio show every Tuesday morning? This was a regular occurrence. Ben wants to throw the ball. Ben wants James Washington on the field. Two weeks ago, Ben told the story, again, to us, not guessing at this, of looking over at the sideline between a set of plays and shouting, get him on, get him on, get James on. And he meant Washington, not Connor. He wants wide receivers on the field. He wants to use all of these wonderful toys, to use the the Joker's line from the original Batman film. Where does he get those wonderful toys? Ben's got lots of them. Ben's got lots of them. His best talent, his best players are his wide receivers and his tight ends. And his offensive line, I should add, is way, way, way better at pass blocking than it is run blocking. So when you see the Steelers these last couple of weeks continuing to pass, even though they've had big leads, not worrying in the slightest 
about the clock stopping or anything to that effect. Please know and understand that this is the domain of the franchise quarterback. This is not something where Randy Feetner and Mike Tomlin are saying, man, it'd be a really good idea if we just kept throwing passes here up 23 points against this terrible opponent. It's not. It's been trying to get the message across, not to us, but to the people over him, or theoretically over him, in the organization, that passing is good. Running is whatever. Running is something you do when you're trying to kill time between passes. He doesn't care about how many balls he's throwing per game. He doesn't care what impact that's having on his elbow. He reiterated yesterday that the elbow is fine from a surgical standpoint. He just wants to throw the ball. He wants to fling it. This isn't new. This isn't new. But it is worth watching. Because if his vision of what it'll take to get the Steelers to the Super Bowl is different than the guys over him, it's going to keep playing out. It just is. And it'll get exposed that much more when they start facing better teams, better defenses, including the one tomorrow night. When we come back, a hockey thing that makes me sad. At Point Park University in the heart of downtown Pittsburgh, they understand there's no substitute for real-world experience and career-building connections. Their innovative curriculum engages students with distinctive experiential learning opportunities. Point Park's pioneering co-op program empowers qualified students to work in full-time, paid positions with their corporate partners while earning college credits. Visit pointpark.edu works to learn more. Career ready. That's the point. Point Park University. Welcome back. It's Thanksgiving Eve. And in other parts of the country on this holiday or as we approach this holiday, it doesn't mean anything more than that. It's just the day before Thanksgiving. In Pittsburgh, it means hockey. You know, or at least it used to. This portion of Daily Shot is brought to you by the personal injury law firm of Luxembourg, Garbett, Kelly, and George. They represent people who are hurt in car accidents, who filed for workers' comp, who need help with medical malpractice claims. The attorneys at LGKG have been AV rated. That's the highest rating a law firm can get for legal ability and ethics. They've also been designated as super lawyers, capital S, capital L, for over 15 years. That, in the legal industry, is a rare combination. LGKG has offices in Cranberry, Newcastle, Beaver Falls, Butler, and Elwood City, and you can learn more about them online at lgkg.com or by giving them a call at 888-842-5454. Tell Larry Kelly we sent you, by the way. Do that. The night before Thanksgiving in Pittsburgh, for years and years, I don't know that anybody has pinpointed a specific year that it began or when it just became more than a coincidence, has had the Penguins playing a home game against somebody. Doesn't matter who. The Penguins, you have to understand, are one of a handful of teams 
in the NHL where the league doesn't get too many requests. The league knows that the Penguins are good to sell out every game, so they will stick them with, let's say, a Monday nighter against the Arizona Coyotes or something really unattractive like that because they know the Penguins are going to sell it out. Anytime you look at a a typical NHL regular season schedule, you always know which are the strongest and healthiest franchises by the ones that are playing home games on Monday nights. You know, it'll be like the Rangers, the Penguins, the Maple Leafs, the Canadiens. It used to be the Red Wings, and it isn't so much anymore. It's a point of pride. Believe me, the people who run the Penguins appreciate that. At the same time, the people who run the Penguins do make at least a couple of requests of the league every year, and this is one of them. They always have a home game the night before Thanksgiving, and it is the best crowd of the season. It's by and large students who come home from college, uh, other family members or people who come home to visit other family and friends for the holiday. And while they're in town, let's go support the hockey team. And because they don't see the Penguins on a regular basis, maybe the way they were used to when they lived here, they cheer that much louder. It is fantastic. It's like it's early in the regular season, but it feels like you just fast forward for one night and it's game one of the playoffs. It's the way you wish Pittsburgh crowds were every night, but that's not really possible to generate that kind of atmosphere. In this case, I mean literally for a November game. I miss it. Um, I miss it. I, I miss hockey. It feels like forever since the Penguins had that training camp uh, up in Cranberry. But even that, I mean, that's for people like me and Dave Molinari and Taylor Haas. That's not, that, that didn't do anything for fans. Neither did the cameo appearance in the 2014 Stanley Cup playoff in which the league fled to another country. It's not the same. For most Pittsburghers, we haven't had our hockey team in sight, in view, for way, way too long. I mean, we're now talking about early March. And the way this is all lined up, or not lined up, I should probably say, we have no idea when the NHL is coming back. I mean, they can start distributing these vaccines and hopefully people will take them and you know everything proceeds smoothly. But even then, what are we talking about? The beginning of February, we're talking about a truncated schedule. Uh, the league is still openly discussing this awful idea of these mini bubbles within the division where all the teams get together and play. Just no. Just no, you know, baseball and football have figured out a way to do this without that. Just play the games, you know, play the games. Get back to some hockey. I I understand for a bunch of reasons why it's hard right now. The NHL doesn't have the revenue, the TV revenue specifically that other leagues have. They need fans in the building. That's not just an ambiance thing for the league. They need that money. 
It's half of the league's revenue, according to Gary Bettman. It's 37%, according to others. But either way, those are both very, very high figures. Way higher than what they are in other sports. So I understand it. I, I sympathize with that part of it. But that doesn't mean I have to be rational about it. There should be hockey in Pittsburgh tonight. It should be a great hockey night in Pittsburgh tonight. And it isn't. And it stinks. And I can't wait for it to come back. Uh, That said, if you're traveling today, and it is the busiest travel day of the year, A, please consider your safety and the safety of others. And B, on this special holiday, please consider giving to the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank. Go to growsharethrive.org. That's their website. And check it out. For every $10 you put in, there's a matching $5 from a benefactor. That gets you that much more bang for the buck. And if you haven't heard me say this a million times, regarding that buck, $1 is all it takes to provide enough food for up to five meals. Take care of yourself today and take care of others. Thanks for listening. Your front door, your car, your gym locker, your bike, your computer, your window, your gun. Safety is a habit. Every day you lock and secure your home, car, and everything you want to keep safe. Gun safety and responsible storage are no different and the best way to help prevent accidents, misuse, and theft. If you own a firearm, it's your responsibility to store it safely when it's not in use. Choose a system that works for you. Cable locks, lock boxes, and gun safes are some of the most effective ways to protect your family and keep firearms secured. Learn more about how to keep guns safe and secure and find out how to get a free firearm safety kit. Visit projectchildsafe.org. That's projectchildsafe.org. If you have a firearm, own it, respect it, and secure it. Brought to you by the National Shooting Sports Foundation and the Bureau of Justice Assistance.